Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 59 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Sardis, Part 4, The Talents. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. As in the days of Noah. Now, we're doing three parables. And in these three parables we're doing with this church of Sardis, Sardis had a problem. Sardis was known to be a church, but it had no power, had no presence. And we're looking at these churches in this study to uh, see how we as a church are to operate today. And not only that, to diagnose ourselves, if you will, and what characteristics do we have uh, that's equal to the seven churches uh, in Revelation. It gives us a revelation of how the churches will look uh, right before the second coming of Christ. Uh, a condensed version of this is Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 shows us what church will look like in the waiting for the second coming of Christ. And it's amazing how accurate the Bible is. It looks a whole lot like us. If you still want to know the truth, this is what we look like. So if you have a problem with how we look, uh, the second coming of Christ, as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we see that the whole New Testament is written in light of this second coming of Christ. Now, our goal here today is for us to actually learn something into our spirits that it will help progress us in the kingdom of God being in our lives. Three parables. First parable uh, was about a householder, if you remember. And then uh, the householder went away. And the idea there was that the household should be fed. We saw the feeding of the household is the Word of God. The next one's the ten versions, which we finished up. And that is that some had, had oil in their lamps, five foolish, five wise, had this oil in their lamps. And with this being the indication of this oil in their lamps, we see that this represents the Holy Spirit, right? Oil, Holy Spirit, food, the Word. And you start catching on to these three parables that it's giving us three different uh, uh, parables, if you will, which is a story which tends to be a prophetic story uh, of the person Jesus Christ. The Word, He is the Word. The Holy Spirit which is that Spirit of Christ. So by uh, elimination, we see that this parable uh, about the Master, that he gave talents there, that this is probably going to have an indication of the person of Christ on the earth, of the person. So we can see we got the Word, the Spirit, and then we've got... It's just a different uh, ways and symbols to give us a reflection <clears throat> of what's going on. So we see we need to study the Word. We want a constant infilling of the Spirit. We, we see that the, we can have more than one filling of the Spirit. And then people get hung up on baptisms. How many you got? I want all there is, is all I can say. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about how, how we get different baptisms, and I'm all, I'm all good for that. But after all the discussions are done and we go home, we just say, Lord, I want more of you. I want all of you, <laughs> whatever, whatever that definition is. Now, now, Sardis, of course, is this dead church. Jesus describes their situation as spiritual deadness. 
spiritual deadness. Now, what we're looking for in this is it's easy to study this and say, poor little church of Sardis. But what the reason these scriptures are giving to us is the church who is the church. It's us. Uh, we can fuss about the government, our government, all we want to about the United States. Who is the United States? It's us. We like to project it into somewhere else. And the scriptures is, so I want to see how much Sardis is in me. That's the idea of these uh, teachings. Now, here's what I'm going to put. Uh, it, it's obvious that they lost God's phone number. I put this one up here. I heard it years ago by a preacher, and it was a, really a good sermon. Uh, but then also I heard it in the last few days, uh, that phrase again. And uh, what I do in doing teachings, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit from week to week to bring to me that that I need to speak. And so one of the things that's brought to me in remembrance was uh, that they, and I saw it, that Sardis, it's just, and because my prayer was, God, how did they lose touch with you? What they, The church of Sardis lost touch with God. And I was reminded there, they lost God's phone number. Now, what is God's phone number? Does anybody know? You too, huh? Now, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That's God's phone number. So what I do to myself if I get perplexed, I'm like, oh, what do I need to do here? The Holy Spirit always brings up to my mind Jeremiah 33.3. You just need to call God. Now, what does it say? It says He will answer, right? He will answer, and I will answer thee. Now, that's, this is what happened with the church at Sardis. They lost God's phone number. They quit asking Him. They quit talking to Him. Now, let's move quickly here. And we see here in Revelation the scripture that this these three parables are written are speaking to is about being watchful. There's two types of people: those that are watchful, and those uh, that will not watch, which we've been over. And um, so we have this word "watch." Three parables tell us what it means to watch. The reason we were given these parables, I want to go into this one quickly. If we do not watch, we'll be what? will be deceived. So we see these three parables and this talks about the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and then Christ Himself. So we start seeing this. The way we're not deceived is we consider these three parables and what they're speaking to us. The parable of the talents is next in calling us to be watchful. Now this is Matthew in Matthew 24, which is preceding this parable of the talents. But here's what they said to the disciples. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceives you. So we go into this one. In Matthew 25, 13, which is uh, at the, the parable of the... Um, of the uh, um, virgins, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Where well, we can see at the beginning, the whole context of this second coming teaching here to the disciples is to watch. I'll throw up a few more verses here about being watchful. Uh, this is uh, done by dailyverses.net, and I'll pull them up a good bit. I enjoy them. It says, A thousand years in your sight 
are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Psalm Micah says, but as for me, I watch in the in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior, my God will hear me. In Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and what? And thankful. So this watching, place of watching and how to watch is a tremendous, incredible component to the Christian life. Now, I'm hoping to get to the end of this teaching today so I can give you the substance or the essence, or the, uh, I'm giving you the ingredients, but I want to give you the cake uh, uh, for us to see how important watchfulness is. Now, now we get, let's jump in here to these talents right quickly. It's five, two, and then the one. What to do while watching and waiting, what to do with what God has given you while you are watching and waiting. So this parable speaks about the talents, this is something that this master gave to these three. It was, it was a talent. It was given to them by the master. Now, one thing we want to understand is that talent was still the master's after he gave it away. That's good. Right? Because when he shows back up, we'll see that he gets it back plus what it creates or multiplies. So it's important to keep that in mind. A farmer is always taking a risk when planting a crop. I'm getting ready to start planting corn this next week. I will plant corn, and I've told you before, you plant it about an inch and a half deep. You want a certain soil moisture. You like the temperature. I like the soil temperature to be 65 to 75 if possible. Uh, of course, the warmer the soil, the quicker it pops out. But you have all of these uh, criteria you'd like to meet when planting corn in a perfect situation, which you've heard me say this, never happens. You never plant corn and, and everything's just right. But it just so happens we're in the season. It's spring, April 15th. Early corn needs to go in the ground now. So what dictates the planting? It's the season. So as Christians and believers, we've got to understand this season that we're in. We're in a season. Whether you're ready or not in certain areas, you got to plant. Everything's not going to be just right. If you're looking for a perfect church before you can plant the gospel, you're never going to plant the gospel. If you're looking for perfect people, it's never going to happen. That's the reason the crutch or the very center of our message is forgiveness. The very central part of our message is there's no judgment, no condemnation. That's what holds us together. Now, let's move on. Now, we got something I want to explain just a little bit more about the parables here. And these three about the natural versus the spirit are two different realms we must have in our minds in order to understand the parables. It's the natural, of course, and it's the spiritual which the parable is speaking unto. Parable being a story symbolically showing a hidden meaning or another meaning. The messages in the spiritual realm are superimposed on the natural. Got it? Prophetic looking. Parables are written in a code, usually talking about 
the future. Now, that's interesting about the parables. The parables, like in, even in Matthew 13, it's amazing how the parables are not time-restricted. They're, 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 not, they're not held by past, present, future. The parables just are, and they work any place you put them. Can you hear that? They superimpose upon the element of time wherever you are. Now, Matthew 13 says this, this is prior, uh, and, and the disciples came unto say, Why do you speak in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Now, this is Matthew 13, which he's citing. That's where he has this big long list of parables when he starts speaking in Matthew 13. Happens after Matthew 10, which he, they, they said that he was casting out demons by the power of the devil. You remember that? So Jesus said, all right, you don't say that about me. I'll just start speaking in a code. And only those that will know what I'm saying are those that are, are truthfully following me. So it's important that we have the interpretation of the Holy Spirit here. He said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So he starts speaking in parables to give revelations of mysteries. So when you see the householder, it's the word of God. That's a mystery, been revealed. The ten virgins poured in of oil. Oh, another idea here. That means, yeah, I need to be poured in all the time. I need to pour out. I need to pour in. It starts giving us this imagery of what the actual Christian life is like in the end times. But it's called a mystery. Now, we get into the parables of the talents. Most of the parables are prophecies and prophetic allusions or hints. I'm using this term here that's used. Prophetic is a person who speaks for God by divine inspiration. Now, I've spoken about that in times past, and I'm not going to go over it again, but we want to understand the prophetic is about speaking about the will of God. It is the will of God that you study the Word of God. It is the will of God that you be filled by His Spirit daily. And it is a Word of God that you encounter Christ 24-7. It's not a part-time deal here. A lot, of times, a lot of people mess up with Christianity thinking it's a part-time lifestyle. It's not part-time. God doesn't. He does. He, there's not, if when you hook up with God, it's a full-time lifestyle. Now, he does pay time and a half. It's called eternity. You might like that part. Okay. An illusion is a figure of speech in which one refers covertly or indirectly to an object or circumstance from an external context, which, of course, is a story. An illusion puts the alluded text in a new context under which it assumes new meanings, which we've seen. An illusion is a passing or casually short statement indicating broader meanings. Now... The revelation of the talent shows us, without any doubt, now watch this, that we are to be faithful risk-takers of the gospel. Now that's one of the first things that the, the, this parable of the talents shows us. To go make an investment, did you know you can't, everybody wants, a lot of people want to make investments with no risk. You know, you can invest your money and your risk levels can go up and down. Did you know the greater the risk, usually the greater the dividend? Isn't that something? Now, as Christians, with this parable, the first thing we want to consider is if you're going to invest a talent that's been given to you, it's 
at risk. At risk that uh, you can be rejected. At risk that you'll uh, not be seen or loved by everyone. There's a lot of risk when God gives you a talent. And for an increase of a talent, I mean, to me, I've never seen, I'll use an extreme here, Heidi Baker. I mean, Heidi Baker in her ministry, they see healings and miracles all the time. And a lot of people say, well, why doesn't God do that here? It's not as great a risk. The greater the risk, the greater the return. Now, my, my other question is, do you think she's ever failed? You should hear her little uh, story, if you will, or her testimony about her trying to take the gospel up the river, well, up a river there in Africa. Uh, she sank a kayak. She got a boat. It sank. She got a bigger boat. It sank. She hired a boat, and it sank. <laughs> Risk taker. I'm telling you. If the Lord gives you a word and you walk up to somebody, well, boy, this one's about my chances are about a one in 10,000. They're going to listen to me. That's fine. Because the greater the risk, the greater the return. Please see that. Because that's what happens to us in churches. And, And we're just not willing. Alan, it said to me quite often, now, Alan, I hate to say this, but I, I'm just compelled. Alan, don't let them get that mic. Don't that person? Don't let don't let them talk. Don't let them speak. And I'm sitting there knowing something. The greater the risk, the greater the return. So y'all got the wrong fella over the mic. You know what I'm saying? Because I understand this biblical principle. Now, with my inner secret revealed, I will now move on. Now here's the parable of the talents. It has, it has an imparting ability. Now, you see, you've got to see what the Lord's trying to tell us in this parable of the, palant, or the talents. It shows us how this thing works. For instance, the greater the risk, the greater the return. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. Somebody gave five talents, two talents, and one talent. The one talent guy hid it and... He wasn't, he's going to be risk-free. He wasn't going to take a risk. Master didn't like it. You see, the returns base off the truth of the master, not the one that carries it. The only thing he's asking us to do is to risk it. All right, here he goes. The parable of the talents has an imparting ability. You got to see this. A lot of people want impartations of the Spirit. We go to the talents to see this. When you were born again, you received the knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Total miracle. Just as Peter did in Caesarea Philippi, in Matthew 16, I'll cite this one. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was taking a risk, but he believed that to be true. Now just follow me as we go. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven is hidden in the parable. Matthew 13 again says, And the disciples came to him saying, What do you speak? Why do you speak to him in parables? He said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. 
We have been given the ability to see and to hear. Now, as Christians and believers, this ability is in you. If you've got the Word of God in you, if you've been poured in by the Spirit of God, if you understand this third parable of the talents, he says, for whoever has to him more will be given. You remember that? That's in Matthew 13. That's in Matthew 13. That's where he speaks, you know, the sower came to sow, the wheat and the tares, you know, all those parables. He says this there, Matthew 13. We're Matthew 25. Another situation. For whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Well, pray tell, don't you want to know what this is? It says, whoever has to him will be given, whoever abundance, but whoever does not have it. Well, okay, I'm okay, okay, okay. But what is it that I'm going to lose? That's the, the obvious question. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, with that in mind, are you using this gift, this talent? Verse 12, for whoever has to him will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The question is, are you using what he's given you? Are you using the five talents, the two talents, the one talent? That's, this, that's the question of this parable in this series of the three parables. Have you been filled with the Word of God? Have you been filled with the Spirit? And what is this talent? What is this thing about using the person of Christ? Now let's look at it. That's the question. Now here's the parable of the talents. Um, Matthew 25, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a what? Journey. On a journey. So you're not overloaded with ever what this talent is. You're not overloaded with more than you can handle. Anybody see this? Because he gives according to your ability. Now, a talent was a, uh, the highest currency value of that time. As a unit of currency, a talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. And a denarius was the usual payment for a day's labor. Wow. At one denarius per day, a single talent was therefore worth 20 years of labor. The goal was for them to increase the value of the master's estate according to their ability. Do you see that? So a denario or a talent was a lot. More than anybody basically had. So a talent was of the ultimate value. And he gave one of them five of them. Well, five times 20 years is 100 years worth of labor he gave to him in one day. Tremendous value. But that laborer took it and brought back how much? Five times. Now let's watch it. Keep it in mind. 
Now, this is a secret. A secret key to this parable is to remember that the talent is always owned by the one who gave it. Always remember that. The talent is owned by the one that gives it. And that's the key to understand where I'm going with this thing. I'm going to continue to move quickly so that I might get it all out today. Now, while the man was away, the servant who had received five talents used his portion wisely and doubled the amount. Got it? And so did the one who had received two. But the one who had received one talent did not use his talent, but instead he hid the one talent in the ground. What could this talent be? What could it be? A talent, the greatest measure of money on the planet at that time was a talent. He gave one of them five, a hundred years worth of working. Just watch it. Right, the man returns, the scripture says in Matthew 25. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The Lord of the servants said to those who multiplied their talents the following. Matthew 25. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Reward system there. You can call it a reward system. Or you can call it the natural progression of spiritual investment. Natural progression of spiritual investment. A lot of people want more Lord, but they're not willing to take a risk with what you have for more. In other words, you go for broke. Well, I'm going to lose my whole reputation if I do what the Lord just said to do. They're going to think I'm crazy. In other words, you're all in. Ever played poker? I might be a good small group, Ed. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Now, here's the mystery key. You must be faithful with the talent given you by the master, and it will consistently be increasing in order to be equipped to rule with him over many things. Not grammatic, not anything about that right, but the meaning of it is. You get it? That's the main thing. But still, you've got to get that mystery there. You must be faithful with the talent given you. All right, you've got these talents. You've got to be faithful with them. Not only have you got them, but faithfulness is what causes the talents to come alive. So then you're faithful with this talent... And when you are, it will have a, a, a constant increasing. Now, this increasing is necessary to be able to operate in the blessing. That's what I'm trying to say. I maybe maybe confused it more. In other words, he says, "Come on, hey, I'm going to uh, I'm going to increase. It's a good. Uh, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy." All right. To be equipped to be a ruler over many things, it's of necessity that the talents increase in you. Did that help? You see what I'm saying? Well, I say, well, I want to rule and reign with Christ. Well, that's all good. 
But the question is, are you going to be flying a hand glider or a 747? Takes more of something growing in you and multiplying to be equipped to rule over the many things. It's not just a, a tip. It's not that. It's not, it's not what it's about. It's being able to be equipped to rule with him. Let's move on. To the one who did not use his talent, he said the following. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him that uh, who has ten talents. Now, I've heard that used uh, as a biblical reasoning for capitalism, but we're not going to do that. Y'all didn't get that. Okay. Now, the same verse in Matthew 13, 12 is repeated again. This is 13. We're in 25. So way before this verse is repeated... For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this thing's over and over. It's not just a one-on time. This concept of the kingdom of God has this concept built within it that whatever you've been given, you must use it and invest it and be a risk-taker so that it continually multiplies or... It doesn't say you'll lose it. He says it'll be taken away. Anybody see that? Yeah. All right, let's move on. Now here's the mystery words I call it. The man who traveled far country and the Lord of his servants. Uh, this is our Jesus and is alluding to his ascension to heaven and the second coming. But there's this long gap in the middle, which we are in now. For 2,000 years, we're in this gap. The servants equal his disciples and believers, which is us. The goods, now watch this. The goods and talents equals the abilities, gifts, and callings we are entrusted with, which are given to us by Christ Himself. So the Master is the one that gives it. So that means that you've been given talents, giftings. You've been given these things. Every one of you here, if you're a believer, the master himself has, is get, issuing talents. You were getting this idea, if I don't invest this thing that he's given. See, you've got a lot of Christians that don't do anything. They got the one talent. They got born again. I'm going to hide it. Well, just read the Bible and it'll tell you what happens with that one. Now, the message is clear. While we wait for Him, we are to be aware and use the nature of Him that is in us, and this nature will multiply, then more will be given to you. Now let's do it again. While we wait for Him, we are to be aware and use the nature of Him that is in us, and this nature will multiply, then more will be given to you. But if you do not, whatever you have left will be taken away, as we are being tested to see what we would do with what we are given. I'm going to move quickly. A talent has weight to it and has the greatest value. What has the greatest possible value to a Christian? Now just think a minute. 
What has the greatest value to a Christian? To be like Him. It's all condensed to being like Him. That's the great, what is, okay, this thing's got great value, this talent has great value, so what's the greatest thing to us? Is to have His power, is to be like Him. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So the most valuable thing to a Christian is the mind of Christ. All right, are you with me? I'm giving you a revelation here. To whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. We're learning something. The, great, the thing that's the most valuable to every one of us sitting here today is the life of Christ. The goal of being more like Him. I suggest to you that the talents have something to do with the person of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, being mindful with the mind of Christ. So, the greatest thing to a Christian, these talents, the ones who made the investments and the good investments had their master in mind when they did it. They weren't concentrating on the increase. They were concentrating on the master, and then the master's mind is what showed them how to invest. As you take these parables in sequence, the Holy Spirit is the one that's in us that leads and guides and directs us on how to invest the talents that God has put in you. And then you find out that talent is Jesus Himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The most valuable thing to a Christian. That's the reason He used these many denarius. It was the most extravagant amount of money, value that you could have. So as we take this person of Christ through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we take a risk and invest it, remember, the greater the risk, the greater the return. When we invest it in the least of these, somebody hear me? All right, let's keep going. Being mindful to my mindfulness. Now, I am speaking to prophetic people, to Christians, that I, what I see in prophetic people is the lack of, my, of the mindfulness of Christ in their daily lives. Because this mindfulness of Christ in you is you taking this, what's been given as a talent, something of great value. So the greatest thing of value in me standing here today is Christ in me. But mindfulness of Christ in me, mindfulness of making investments of Christ in me, the mindfulness of it comes from the mind of Christ. How do I know I'm taking on the mind of Christ? It's because I'm mindful of Christ. I'm mindful of each situation in every day. I'm mindful. Now watch it. Watch me here. 
When we use the mind of Christ a little, it will grow a lot. Are you with me? When we're, when we're faithful a little, it'll grow a lot. He'll give you more. The more mindful of Christ we are, the more we are being readied to rule and reign with Him, to go in this great increase of the talents. He has promised. We want more of the Holy Spirit. Everybody, we all want more of all of this. I'm just suggesting to you, if you want it, it's going to take the Word of God in you. You won't have to eat the food. It's going to take a constant baptism of His Holy Spirit daily. And it's going to take the mindfulness of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. And then we're going to have a great reward of ruling and reigning with Him. There's not a better feeling than to be over a task and you know what you're doing. Can somebody hear me? It's the best feeling in the world. So the more mindful you are and the mind of Christ operating in your life, the more you're being equipped to rule and reign. So you, in other words, the more mindful you are, the more of the kingdom of God you're going to see on this earth. It develops the prophetic eyes and the prophetic seeing. Let me continue. Mindfulness is the ability to be intensely aware of what you are feeling and sensing without judgment. Come on. You got to get this prophetic people. Come on, you got to get this. And there's so much to be judgmental out there now, uh, we'll miss it. We're, we, uh, mindfulness is to have the mind of Christ. Mindfulness is when you see transgenderism or homosexuality. Go as berserk or bizarre as you want to go. The mindfulness is to be able to be aware of it you, and to have a feeling about it, and you're sensing it, but you stop short of a judgment. I don't know if you like that or not. I'm not really saying it for that reason. But what I just told you is one of the greatest prophetic truths, if you'll learn it and grab it, that you'll ever hear. Without judgment. Truthfully, we start in judgment. And then... We feel in sense. You're not going to have the mindful. Listen, the mindful of Christ is always about what God's doing behind the scenes on behalf of what you're sensing and feeling. And God's in the redemption business. Now, I don't have all of this transgender, all of these gods that's out here that's been unleashed on planet Earth again. I, I don't quite have it all together on my response. And as I've been studying this and the, what I've discovered, and the reason I don't quite have it all together on why my responses is because I am trying to work through my mind and not the mind of Christ. But he, I promise you, this is, you give me this this morning. Mindfulness is the ability to be intensely aware of what you are feeling and sensing without judgment. If you got judgment, you've already come up to a conclusion, so you can't see somebody. It's the hardest thing in the world you'll be able to pull off. Mindfulness is awareness of one's internal state and surroundings without judgment. Whereas you got to be you got to be aware of how you are inside. You got to be totally aware. Then you look at everything around you. And you still got to do it without judgment. Even when you look internally, 
Help us, Lord, even internally, without judgment. Judgment is our enemy to hearing the voice of Christ, to having the mind of Christ. If you'll notice, your mind will fight for superiority over the mind of Christ. How do I know that I've done it? It's because I haven't had judgment at the end of my thinking process. I, I'm trying my best to find words to put a spiritual phenomena into. If you want to see how that works, you can go to Second Peter. Don't go there. We'll not go there today. But you can go to Second Peter, you know, chapter one through fourteen. In Second Peter, chapter one, verse fourteen, it speaks about the divine nature. Church, we're so far away from the divine nature. A lot of us are. I'll not speak for you, but I'll speak for us. From the divine nature. We're not seeing... We are seeing the judgment side of people's behavior pretty well. What's going to happen to people? It's not hard to look at a drug addict and not predict his end. That's not hard to do. This is not hard to do. Not hard to do. But it takes the mind of Christ to look at the drug addict and to see and hear what God's saying He's doing behind the scenes on behalf of that drug addict. That they do not experience the judgment in which they're headed towards. Can somebody hear me? Church, we're not in the judgment business. We're in the redeeming business. Come on. We can't throw half of the sick people out of the window and try to get the other half redeemed. Come on. We're an emergent, spiritual emergency room. We got to take them as they come. And I don't know what to do with them. But I know somebody that does. I feel better. At least I got it said. Now, I'm not saying I know how we do it. I haven't seen a whole lot that's being suggested to me on the internet, on videos. I'm not seeing a whole lot that suits me just right. We're going to shoot this one in this sin. We're going to hang that one that's in that sin. And we're not going to kill or hang this one, just not going to let them come in our doors. I don't know what the heck we do with all of it. What do we do? Alan, we, how, how do we allow homosexuals to come to church and say, yeah, you can come? Well, I, got, I think the Word of God's got some guidelines for all of us, as well as that one. But nonetheless, the question is, are our doors open? Or are we judging everybody before they came through the doors? Listen, years ago when people had long hair back in the Jesus Revolution, had long hair and playing guitars and were against traditional church. I, I get all that. Listen, even though that was hard for the church to accept, what's happening today is a thousand times harder. It's harder. Jesus Revolution had it easy to what we have today. Same hurdles to go over. 
But these are more intense today. There's still the same answer. Now, please hear me. If I've got a word to you in this message of the talents, understand the way these three talents work. Understand that the mindfulness of Christ, it's one thing for me to say I'm to have the mind of Christ, and it's another thing for me to say I have the mindfulness. That means I'm in active, ongoing mind of Christ. I can say mind of Christ, and it's almost out there by itself, and yeah, one, yeah, every now and then I'll tap into it. Mindfulness of Christ tells my inner voice to sit down and shut the heck up. And how do I know it's happening? And listen, I'll judge. I'm just judgmental more so than anybody in the room. But I know the right answer. If I jumped to judgment... If I jump to judge, listen, God's the judge and will perform the judgment. He doesn't need my help. He's thrown us in this ocean of this world of sin to be a lifesaver to those that are drowning and perishing. God's the judgment. We have been equipped to have the mindfulness of Christ to save those that are perishing. And when we lose that job description, listen, I... Let me say this. Give me two more minutes, Pastor. As I say this, if I, if our pastor on our webpage has to sign under his name, he, they, him, under his name, now please hear me. What I'm telling you is, all right, let me, get, let me go a different route. That was the positive side. Let me hit a negative side. If you go to college and a professor writes you a letter, professor so-and-so, me, she, it, got all these subtitles, that professor has just left its calling. Sexuality has nothing to do with college or school. Has nothing to do with it. Somebody hear me. Sexuality has nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with it. You're there to learn truth and facts about biology and math and that's what the truth of a learning institution is to be. When these people take on, for some reason, the morals and values of what they're to be teaching, then they have left their call. Now, I'm wanting you to see something. The call of the church is to call in those that are perishing. Do we have a standard of this book? Yes, we do. But are we to perform the judgments? No, we're not. That is not our job description. And it's the cotton-picking hardest thing I've ever done in my life not to do it. But I find myself daily falling into judgment that people would get what they deserve, knowing that I want to hold the grace of God for me. Now, what I'm saying, you'll have to sort it out. 
Because what I'm saying is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. I cannot tell you that I own all of the convictions that I've just said. But I can say that I've seen them and I have a choice to make. And I'm going to hush. Karen, it's all yours. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I've done it again. I pray if I've made a mess, I trust you'll clean it up. If I've said any truth, Lord, I, I'm sure I didn't say everything just right, but Lord, I'm trusting your spirit to sort it out, that your people can hear what you want them to hear. Lord, I pray that we'll be that we'll invest your talents well. I pray that we'll have your mind so we'll know how to invest. I pray, oh God, that this church can be a place that I don't care what sin comes through those doors, that we will be convicted and be delivered. No matter what the sin, no matter what is breaking a relationship with you, It'll be healed. It'll be healed. Yes, we agree. And it'll be healed because Jesus is in the house. And because we have this mind in us, which is the mind of Christ, which is about redeeming all things. Show us, O God, your mind. Let us walk in it. Give us faith for it. Most of all, give us the anointing of your presence. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen.